Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. On this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about Thieves' Guilds. How do you use it in your game? How has it developed your campaigns? Is it even a thing that actually existed in real in the real world? All that and more on this episode of Wandering DMs. <laughs> How you doing, Paul? I'm doing alright. Pretty chipper today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm looking yeah. forward to a high energy show here. <laughs> And, I, and when I was preparing, I was like, you know, Paul was pushing for this for this topic, so I'm going to be mostly relying on him. So I'm really going to I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this. Thanks, anyway, Dan. Thank you. We have one. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm a little little sleep deprived this morning. Uh, definitely moving a little slower than usual. Hopefully, get get the blood pumping with some exciting talk of thieves guilds. I would I would I would not have expected anything otherwise. Um, so, uh, you know, so admittedly, this is actually a thing that I've not worked on super heavily in my campaigns. So if the viewers want to jump in and, and share ideas or examples that they've used in their games, that might actually help me quite a bit. Because, you know, it's funny. So obviously, you're talking themes, girls. We're going to be talking D&D thieves intrinsically. And that kind of ties into all the some people like them and some people don't. And some th- people think they should be there. Thieves were not part of the original publication of D&D. They were the, yep. the, the fourth class that got added in the first supplement. And some people still look at that and go, heretics, heretics, we don't <laughs> need thieves. Yep. Just, just, just if you rob, right, if you steal something, you're, you're in the thieves guild is what some people say. And um, <laughs> if, but if you look at it, right, it is uh, pretty prevalent in the inspirational literature, right? Like you've got stuff like uh, a lot of the... Um, uh, Lankmar stories uh, by Fritz Lieber. Um, you've got, um, I mean, the books that Gygax himself wrote, the novels that Gygax himself wrote, which I know is not inspirational well, materials after the fact, but um, right, are all about Gord the Rogue, and yep. so you get Thieves' Guilds yep. in there. Um, you know, certainly uh, Terry Pratchett has got Thieves' Guildy stuff. I feel like th- there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot of that sort of thing. I do feel like when I was researching this, like that was my first thought as well. And then like a minute later, I was like, it's mostly Lieber. <laughs> it's mostly Lieber. <laughs> it's mostly Lieber with Langmar. And certainly for me, that's my canonical example of yeah. an explicit Thieves Guild. I think that when, you know, Gary was writing D&D and later his own novels, he's, he's clearly doing a pastiche of Lieber, yeah. I think. Hmm. And I think that you have this great example of the very first story where Fafford and the Grey Mouser actually meet they wind up going to war with the thieves guild yeah. and it's, it's, it, it goes on for quite a while and they wind up having to actually invade the thieves guild headquarters. So you get a lot of detail of what's happening there and how it's laid out and stuff like that. Um, so I, I agree. And now, you know, after that, you've got stuff in, uh, I guess you have thieves guilds in like Discworld and the David Eddings novels and the Gore novels and stuff like that. Um, but from what I can tell, you know, it's really, it's really Lieber that put it yeah. in, in the fantasy world. Right. Now, where did he get it from? Yeah. Where did Lieber get it from, though? I have no idea. Do you know? Well, I thought this was really interesting, <laughs> actually. So there's actually a De Cervantes story, and he was writing around 1600, actually, uh, and he has an anthology of stories, and they're in Spanish and so forth, uh, called The Exemplary Novels, and he has one short story called Rinconeta and Cotadillo, and they are a pair of ne'er-do-well thieves okay. who are buddies yep. and they go to Seville uh, to make their to make their fortune and basically Cervantes came up with the trope of take medieval trade guilds and just overlay it into a criminal enterprise hmm. and uh, so he had the whole trope of when you come into town if you're going to if you're going to apply your trade you have to become part of the guild which was actually medieval trade guild practice actually right and uh you have ranks that you pass through you start off as an apprentice and then a journeyman and then a master craftsman 
And so Kervantes came up with like the terminology of the tip top tier of thieves is the master thief, just like a master craftsman. And in mm -hmm. uh, original first edition D&D, that is what you see as the name level for thieves, of course. All right. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. So I think it comes from there, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's some some notes uh, some folks are mentioning in the chat. There are certainly other inspirational novels that feature thieves, not necessarily an organization, right. but right. stuff. You know, you know, obviously Conan uh, was was something of a thief, and uh, I was thinking of um, oh, I can't remember the character's name, but the Elspreg de Camp uh, Goblin Tower books. Um, uh, uh, there was a guy I was who was just yeah. Somebody tell us. Some, some viewers are about to tell us that. Research, research team, get yeah. on the get on the case there. Yeah, I don't know that offhand, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a good point. But, but that's you know, and he certainly does all your kind of classic thiefy, you know, picking locks and right schmoozing. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway. So yeah, certainly there are plenty of uh, stories about thieves. So it's not surprising right. that thieves made it into the game. But thieves guilds, organized thieves guilds. Um, and I've seen this taken, you know, in games a lot of different ways. I, I've seen this, what you're talking about, the thing where uh, you have this very highly organized, you know, like a like a medieval trade guild, thieves guild. And I've seen uh, books that treat it more like like gangs, right, or, or right. mafia families kind of kind of stuff. Right. Uh, yep, Jorian. Thank you, Joshua. His name is Jorian, King Jorian. Yep. Who? became a king by accidentally catching the head of the king who was came before him while he was being beheaded <laughs> yep. that feels very um that feels very oglify <laughs> if you know that webcomic oglif yeah and yeah. uh trigger warning i guess uh it feels very oglify i think that happens a couple times yes yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the gist the gist of it is that the, the the nation that he's the king of does this once a year that they they know kings are not to be trusted so every year they okay. execute him and whoever catches okay. the head gets to be the next king. And you have a great, you get to be king for a year. Wonderful, you know? Any peasant could become king for a year. You just you just die at the end. Yeah. yeah. I have not read that. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's pretty That's good. great. That's pretty good. <laughs> right, right. You know, Joshua's I, reminding, uh, reminding me that he then, like, gets a master thief to come and teach him the thieving skills ah. as an attempt to, like, you know, escape. Not okay. Kill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to get out of this king yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. heavy is the head that wears the crown. That yeah, proves that yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thieves guilds in games. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah. uh, I, I've used it myself a few times. Um, okay. I think uh, William, uh, somebody in the chat, uh, Ash mentioned, uh, is anticipating stories of the Silk Guild, which. Okay. Yep, yep. I had a game <laughs> with the Silk Guild, which was a cover for um, uh, illegal activities and lycanthropy. So that was oh. fun. Um, that was that was a good game. Basically, go on. All mostly improvised, right? Didn't that it was wasn't that mostly, launch out of a carousing table? Yeah, result? launch out of a carousing table, and and and. Um, Specifically, not only a carousing table. I think the carousing table entry was something like, "Oh, you go and uh, you 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 are one of us, right? You join some kind of secret society or something." And then the player who got that result was absent the following week, and so we we're like, right. "What happened?" And I'm just having to make stuff up on the fly, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, you saw him with this guy in a purple turban at the tavern, and they were they were talking a lot, and then he left with that guy, and you don't know, you." Don't know. And the the players instead of like taking my cue as a, this is how I'm going to explain he's missing this week. Let's not worry about it. They were like, we have to go find and rescue him right now. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pulled out some stream maps and made up this whole thing. I can't even remember where the turban came from. I think it was just a, I was just trying to get one, like, memorable detail so that I could be, like, looking for the man in the purple turban. And uh, from that evolved the entirety of the Silk Guild. So... Uh, which the players then raided. The players like discovered it, raided it, uh, fought a bunch of terrible creatures, and eventually rescued their friend. Where did the so? It's it's funny because as as you know, I've, I've been I've been reading a, a, a screenwriting book in the last in the last week, and one of one of the tips what which came under the heading uh, an eye patch and a limp was to make sure that any particular any particular particularly side character secondary character that's not on screen a lot 
should have an immediately visual marker so that people mm. remember them by you know on site. Um, and so the, uh, the, the the purple turbans are really good example of that. Actually, uh, they were recommending have at least two. Yeah, um, yeah. The the eye patch and Olymp uh, protocol, but uh, that's a, that's a good idea because we I remember it now and Ash remembers it, yep. and I wasn't even part of the game, so it's that's actually a really good example of that. Yeah, yeah. The other I mean, thing that I'm thinking about is when they when they found the the ultimate the ultimate bad guy in that situation, they were in what situation? Hmm. He was like the, the, like the ultimate bad guy of the of the Silk Guild was was doing what when they found him? Um, I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while. Um, well, I believe I think he was actually maybe possibly a Rakshasa. Now that I think about it, and I think he yeah. was going to eat the the captive, but he had uh, somehow filled his his basement torture chamber with illusionary magic, so they got down there, and it looked like, oh, this nice place with all these pillows and hookahs, and we're going to have a nice time, and, and like one of the players broke through it and was like, oh no! <laughs> you have no idea what I'm seeing down here! It's awful! <laughs> we have to get out of here! That's great. Yeah, That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's very eyes, right? A uh, very Vancian eyes of the overworld, right? Yeah. Of like it looks great. It looks great. And then you you peer behind it. It's like that's that's where I'm in a terrible situation. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, honestly. There's a lot of fun tropes we got out of that game. Um, I I also uh, I think when they scoped out when they first discovered the existence of the Silk Guild, they wanted to kind of case the joint, and then then I it improvised. Uh, they're having a party, and so then the players like got themselves snuck themselves into the party and were able to like move around the location prior to the infiltration in like oh we're just party guests and we're just kind of looking oh what a nice place you have here right and uh <laughs> and kind of enjoying the, the the party atmosphere it was really nice right and it kind of gives me double use out of the map because they're like we're you're here for a party okay we're gonna leave now we're gonna come back and infiltrate go 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 um so that was kind of neat um anyway th the interesting thing about that is um that was one session and the the guild didn't really come up again because the, the players put the hurt down on the silk guild pretty hard right they they eliminated a lot of members of the silk guild who were already known to be sort of foreigners in the town um so they kind of destroyed their their foothold in that in that town so i don't know that that it became a recurring thing or that they really had to deal with the larger infrastructure of this guild um you know where it came up more recently uh is on 10 dead rats where we had um uh, colleen's character yeffy is very interested in uh um thief-like activities has done some done some smuggling some some stealing and uh made a connection in bogenhofen uh which is actually in the printed material that there is a uh, a thieves guild there um there's one door. It's like it's in the when they're in the sewers looking for other stuff. There's one door that like leads into the into the thieves guild, and the section on it is actually terrible, I believe. So it's like the worst part of that adventure, because it's just this big, big block of pre-written text that you're supposed to read out, and it's very railroady, and hmm. um, yeah, just it just beats the players over the head with like, oh, ha ha ha, you've accidentally walked in on the basement of the thieves guild. <laughs> And and you should be terrified, and they're gonna put the hurt down on you, and you should get the hell out of here. And <laughs> and basically, the, yeah, the whole text is is this like monologue from the from the leader of the thieves guild, who's just basically telling you like, you know, I could kill you right now, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna let you go, get the hell out of here. And um, I think it's awful because not only is it is it not very interesting, um, it it really like relies on the players taking a certain action, which is like, oh, we are scared, let's leave. Right. Are they going to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, that is a bad, a lot of players that is a not bad do that. thing to bet on yeah. with yeah. RPG players. That is a really yeah. bad yeah. thing to bet on. Yeah. You should not yeah. design an adventure expecting yeah. that. Yeah. So I actually completely twisted it, and I I, um, I had them... Uh, the players eventually make connections into that. The, the, I think the interesting thing is that, that Yeffy went out... Oh boy, my memory is not good this morning. Sorry, everyone. I think Yeffy <laughs> went out looking for the Thieves Guild. She knew that it existed and then went looking for it and made this contact with them and eventually um, uh, was able to get them to co-coordinate a raid on on a there was a 
a, a known merchant who's involved in this this uh, group who's summoning demons, and that and the players want to eliminate that. And so she says, "Well, we have to break into this merchant's house. And merchants usually have a lot of good stuff. You should send some people with us, and uh, we'll make a job out of it." And I was like, "You know, again, in my with my improviser hat on, I yes and." <laughs> so I was like, "Yes." <laughs> That is a great idea. Here are some interesting uh, new NPCs to go along with you into this merchant's house. And, uh, you know, we want a big fat cut. And, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it worked uh, pretty darn well. Um, and, uh, oh, I guess I should also mention, of course, Frank, now that I'm thinking about this stuff. Uh, Ten Dead Rats also features a crime family, uh, a Kislevite crime family, which is Kislev is the, the kind of Russian um, uh, part of the world in Warhammer. And, um, and they've had many interactions with Frank, who turns out to be the, the leader of, or at least the, the local leader in the city of Altdorf of that particular leg of that crime family. And he's not a nice guy. And uh, the funny thing is he's very jovial and very friendly. And he seems like a nice guy, and then and then it, you know somewhere along the road the players are promising to kill someone for him, uh, <laughs> or or doing getting strong arms basically into other services for him that they're like realize after the fact like oh, actually maybe I'm not comfortable with what he's asked us to do, <laughs> you know usually right after he's done them a favor too you know that's he's he's a pretty good crime boss he gets in there he does oh you you need a place to lay low for a couple of days I got a safe house no problem you can borrow it here it is. I just need you to kill this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. super well done. That's it's, super well done. Sometimes I fear that I'm like I have that I'm not the best, um, not the best, you know, fiction writer um, in the sense that, and I, and I see this as advice to writers of like, you know, don't fall in love with your characters to the extent that you're unwilling to make life hard on them. And I'm like, I do that. Like, I actually, I actually do that. I actually don't like. I, I'm trepidatious about um, about prearranging like a complication like that. I mean, I'll kill people. I mean, I'm not. It's, I'm not crazy, but uh, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, prearranging a complication like that, which is which is brilliant. I actually sometimes I have trouble with. Oh, really? really I, I love yeah. putting players into like. Here are two bad choices. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that. Too. That's great. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times these things for me they're based on other fiction that I'm that I'm watching or, or taking in at the time. Uh, Frank, of course, is a, is a play on Noho Hank from from the show Barry, um, although with a lot more teeth. Um, Noho Noho Hank in Barry is kind of useless. Uh, <laughs> um, my my Frank is uh, is quite dangerous as it turns out. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, that is kind of that that whole section. I can't remember where that came from. I just I just liked that character and I wanted to inject him into the game, and so I did. And the players really glommed onto it, and they played into it is the nice thing. So that's that's like it could have easily been a thing where they were like, no, we don't we don't like this guy. We don't trust him. We're going to kill him, right? And they could have I don't know killed him or something, and that would have been the end of that. But they played into it, and they like decided to be scared of Frank, of Frank, but also like do his bidding, but also be uncomfortable about that. Um, and so over the sessions now I've been able to develop it into like, okay, no, there's, there's like a larger, this, they are just, they're the piece of the crime family that was sent to Altdorf, right? And Kislev is up to the North. So there's a much bigger family out there and it's all, it's all, it all, uh, revolves around a uh, drug smuggling, um, which is really interesting. The players accidentally got involved in and, uh. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think like again in this case, I feel like I'm I'm not really playing into that guild, that that trade guild kind of feel of it. That it, it is much more crime family, um, which I I don't know. I think I feel like I like that better. It feels a little more rooted in reality, whereas like a a highly organized, um, you know, uh, guild right. feels a little weird, right. I think that makes sense. So one of the, I mean, one of the questions I had was like, how how realistic is a corporatized um, yeah. thieves guild in, in the first place? And I, my, from from what I can tell, not very much, not a lot. Yeah. If you're going to go look for real world examples of that, you kind of have to hunt. 
you kind of you kind of have to kind of push it a little bit. Now we we all agree, and, and as many of the the viewers have said in the chat, like you know, criminal gangs. I mean, that's literally always been a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, to some to some bunch of uh, ruffians, I guess, um, <laughs> has has always been a thing. Um, you know, people being in a neighborhood or being in a family, you know, being possibly mobbed up or something like that is, is definitely a thing. But like a really like infrastructure, it seems to be seems to be largely, you know, exaggerated, I guess I'll say exaggerated mm-hmm. for purposes of fiction or journalism. And for what it's worth, it's interesting because uh, um, reinvited Brooklyn-based artist Isabel Garbani was coincidentally researching organized crime for a completely different reason this week because she's doing uh, tours here in New York, one of which is an Italian food tour. And the person who previously ha- had the tour said to her, if the if the people on the tour start to get bored with what you're doing, just start talking about the mafia because everybody loves that. Everybody loves the stories about the mafia and where people got whacked and stuff like that. And Isabel was like, okay, I better, I better, you know, be really sure that what I'm saying is actually factual because I think some of it is not. Mm-hmm. And both of us independently were kind of like, yeah, it's really not, you know, a big mastermind corporate empire of crime is not really so much a thing, but it sells newspapers. Hmm. And so over the years, it's quite likely that, you know, in many cases, the journalists came up with the name for the organization, right? The, the people involved themselves didn't. Um, and so hmm. really kind of hyped up this, you know, black hand mafia, uh, you know, undercurrent of crime that's everywhere when it's kind of really more disconnected like that. Hmm. Um, for what it's worth, I will say that uh, Isabel and I shot a uh, breakfast briefing uh, for our patrons that will show up on our uh, on our Discord in a couple of days, actually, for those of you who are patrons. So look forward to that. I thought that was really interesting. We just kind of crossed paths on this particular this particular topic. Yeah. You know, another another reason I really like skewing a thieves guild more in the direction of either a crime family or a gang is to then have multiple of them. Right? I feel like anytime you see a thieves guild presented, there's one thieves guild, right? And it just has a stranglehold on the on the town. Right. Uh, I think it's better to have multiple, right? Like you know, then there can be some yeah. conflict, there can be Right. You know, some, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can kind of accidentally end up between them or having to choose a side. And, like, again, that's, like, another great case of, like, well, here's two terrible choices for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you can right. side with the Kislevites or the Tillians. Which one do you Which one do you want to get in bed with? Like, uh, neither. <laughs> that's great. That's great. It, it's very much like, the, you know, multiple factions, like, in a dungeon. So you go in, yeah. you literally have to fight everybody. You get some kind of, like scurrilous monster faction on your side and use that against the other one perhaps with more complications that's a really good point you know it's funny because i find that you know like one of the things that came on the breakfast briefing actually was like my concern that standard story structure you know like in american style demand one master controller like one one big bad boss Mm-hmm. And that 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 structure of expecting a, a unified mono institution sometimes bends our understanding of the real world when it's not. There isn't any one person that controls everything. It's a it's a disintegrated, chaotic mess uh, most of the time. So that's that's actually good to uh, good to bring up that it's actually way more interesting and more realistic to have multiple factions like yeah. that. Yeah. And then yeah. and then that's easier, I think, for you to find your 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 real real world. Uh, parallel that you can base stuff on, right? Like, like there's, you know, uh, and trying to think of like, wh- how can I find a movie that portrays a thieves guild? Oh, that seems hard. Can I find a movie about mobsters? Oh, yes, there are lots of those. Great, lots of those. <laughs> great. great, yeah, great point. Yeah. A great point. You know, let me. Okay, so before I go, so before we get off on this, when I was when I was looking for real world stuff, I came up. You know, I, I discovered something, and maybe everybody else already already knows it, but I just thought this was really fascinating. And this is about as close as you get to like medieval thieves guild type stuff. So there was a there was a gentleman around active around 1700 or so named Jonathan Wild in London, and Jonathan Wild um, made his name 
catching criminals. And at that time, there was a there was a very there wasn't an organized police system, and there was rampant crime in London, and people were, you know, calling out in vain for a solution. And so Jonathan Wild made his name as a independent. I don't know. It's sort of like Batman. Is it? Yeah. He he went and, and and formed an organization that would catch criminals on the street, hmm. and so things would get stolen, and people would be like, "My valuable heirloom has been stolen," and Jonathan Wild would show up, and he'd be like, "I have found it. Here's the criminal. I got the evidence. You execute him. Here's your object back, and I'll collect the reward for that. Thank you very much that you put out. Fantastic." And the government of London started to consult with them and say. What could we possibly do to get crime down? And his answer was increase the rewards, increase the rewards for turning in criminals um, and from 25 pounds to 125 pounds. And we'll be catching more criminals for you post haste. Um, And he actually declared himself the thief taker general of Great Britain and Ireland because he and his compatriots were catching more thieves and taking them off the streets than anybody else. And again, finding all the things that have been stolen and people would show up at his office and go, I, I lost X yesterday. And he'd be like, well, I already found it for you. Here it is. I'll take that reward for you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turned out he, he was running a gang that was stealing all the stuff. <laughs> right? He was the crime lord. He was the crime lord. And he'd actually taken over. He'd taken over all the gangs by because any anytime anybody crossed him, he yeah. forged evidence and turned them over as a criminal to get executed. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and, and the more that the government attempted to you know, increase the laws to make the penalties more severe, played directly into his hands. Because, for example, they made, they made penalties for fencing just immediate execution. So now nobody could get rid of any stolen good except by going through Jonathan Wilde's fake reward return system. Is he never had to fence anything? He would just steal it, go right back to the original person, get a reward for it. Um, and he went twenty or twenty or thirty years like this. And so the the funny thing to me is that he publicly named himself the Thief Taker General of Great Britain, and it's a wonderful double entendre. Is that on the one hand he claims that he's taking thieves off the streets, but yeah. on the other hand he's a thief and he's taking everything. <laughs> that's great that's great right i thought that was an amazing that was amazing story and the other thing is that the 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 date of his trial was yesterday the date of his final trial having been found out was was 296 years ago yesterday wow and i was i was just so amazed to be reading up on on that so um so what a a great story feel free to work that into your fantasy world yeah that sounds that sounds like a great uh, a great thing a great character to 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 work into a game that's amazing that's amazing you know before you got to that particular detail of the of the of him actually being the thief which is hilarious i i kept thinking like well this sounds a lot like the pinkertons right Sounds right. sounds like you're describing the Pinkertons, um, right. which is you know interestingly another direction you could go with your thieves guilds. Right, not saying that they're that they're like the Pinkertons, but rather the, like who are the Pinkertons going after? And then you get these sort of Wild West gangs, right? Right, right. Uh, various you know bank robbers and um, you know uh, uh, thieves, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And the and, you know, the funny thing is the aren't the Aren't the Pinkertons still active now? Aren't the Pinkertons still an active like organization I, today? I think so. That I, that I don't know. Um, am I am I remembering wrong? Wait after the show, I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm not going to say any give any misinformation I, I think here on the show. Large, I, to my <laughs> understanding, some large companies still to this day hire them as uh, as anti union um, <sighs> efforts. Interesting. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, so that is a thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Different ways you can do about go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that one, you know, trouble spot that I have with using thieves guilds is, um, like, what do you think? Do they do you think they work better as like allies for the players, or do you think they work better as opposition? Um, like on the one hand, I feel like I want to work it into the world and the backstory as some as an entanglement. But again, I, you know, I, I tend at least I tend to think that, well, I have to just work with the thief players 
And right. while that's happening, I need to leave out the other players, the fighters and the, and the wizards and so forth. And then I feel bad about that. So I wind up not developing that aspect about it because I feel like that's a thief only thing. And, and maybe that's something I would roll out in a like a thief only campaign or a solo play campaign or something hmm. like that. Does, um, does, a, does a thieves guild, though, not need to hire muscle and hire people with magical backgrounds? Uh, they do. They do. I, I don't know. You know, I don't have a whole lot of players that set their character up as someone who'd be susceptible to that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now this, this gets into your setting, yeah. right? Like your sort of right. standard D&D setting. Right. Generally, the players, they might be, you know, self-serving and treasure hunters, but they, you know, more likely to be a little more morally upright than, say, right. a setting like Warhammer, where I'm like, yeah, pretty good chances that the characters are... Um, really up to no good. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Your original question was, do they work better as right. a, as a as an ally or a or a an enemy? I'm not sure that there's an answer to that. I think it, they it works both. They, they both work well, and it really I think it comes down to what the you know how your players are are portraying their characters, right? Are, are they the types of characters who would be allies with the Thieves' Guild, or are they the types of characters who would try to take down the Thieves' Guild? That's a good. That's a good point. What, what, like on average, like over your game sessions, like which way has that skewed? Have you had have you have you had the Thieves' Guild more often just be like? Because I mean, one thing I could say is like it works pretty well as like a city-based dungeon, right? So you have a squad of bandits or the Thieves' Guild headquarters like in that story from Fritz Lieber with Faf and the Grey Mouser, um, and you can kind of have it be like a dungeon in the city. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at the two examples. Look at the two examples I just gave, right? In one case, we have the yeah. Silk Guild, where they were an enemy, and it worked exactly like, like what you're talking about, right? It was a, it was a dungeon for them to explore. Right. Um, and, and it lasted one session, as opposed to, say, Franck in Ten Dead Rats, who's an ongoing character and is an ally-ish sort of <laughs> not a very good ally right. but an ally nonetheless <laughs> of the players and that's gone on for a very long time right so many sessions of, of his presence so i feel like you know uh it's going to change how much you get out of it in your campaign right like is it um you know are they, they going to route the thieves and destroy the thieves guild and then then what happens like do we get a power vacuum does a new thieves guild sprout out um is this become or you know now there are magically no thieves in the city. I don't know. Um, so it might be a, a recurring thing, maybe every now and again. Okay, the new thieves guild has sprouted up and they're doing terrible things and we need to infiltrate this new one. Um, but I still think you're going to get less content, I guess, that way is my point. Um, as opposed to being an ally where now they're an, an important NPC group and you don't have a location necessarily to explore, but you have these NPCs that the players are going to interact with who might be provoking adventure. Which is something I, I really like. like. Um, yeah. I, you know, I've done that with all kinds of characters, right? Uh, famously, the one I like to talk about the most is Peltar, the sorcerer, who's really into taxidermy. Um, but it's always, I think, always interesting to have powerful NPCs who can feed the players with adventure due to their specific needs, right? Whether it's Peltar collecting taxidermy or, you know, a thieves' guild wanting, you know, something, someone dead or... <laughs> Good smuggled or into another town or whatever. I can see that. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I tend to. I tend to over. I tend to have a. I tend to overlook this like multiple threads, uh, bouncing off each other idea. Which and again in a, in a role playing game, which is kind of improv, you don't know in advance which way that's going to go. So you kind of have to throw out the complications and let the players themselves kind of determine. Which 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 things get picked up on like that? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, the one time I had my players invade the Silk Guild, um, it all happened in one session, so I had to just quickly dig through my notes uh, and find an empty map. Be like, that looks like it could be the inside of the Silk Guild. Sure. Um, so it wasn't like I, I didn't sit down and pre-generate and populate an entire interior of the Silk Guild for them to explore right uh just kind of ripped off a piece of an of an existing dungeon and repurposed it 
let me throw this out. So there, you know, so Thieves Guilds are, are using a lot of classic, uh, you know, gaming products. And we mentioned uh, Fritz Lieber's Lankmar setting. And of course, that actually got published uh, by TSR as a setting for AD&D, I think, second edition era, I think. Um, Indeed. And yeah, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there's that, and you know the other thing that. So I was you know reading up my uh, my Lieber books this week for this, and the other thing that I actually have been reading for the first time actually recently is the the Thieves World uh, books. Um, mm -hmm. So I've read uh, which started coming out in 1979, um, has a whole bunch of uh, anthologies you know up until fairly recently actually. Um, thinking that that would also kind of fill in my understanding of how do they fit into a fantasy, how do Thieves' Guilds fit into fantasy worlds. And that as well um, uh, was published as a uh, role-playing game accessory at one point, which is actually kind of a hot item. It's kind of hard to find. Hmm. Really nice really nice publication. Um, at the time, had multiple stats for AD&D and RuneQuest, I think, and something else and something else, which is kind of an interesting take on it. The funny thing is that the Thieves World, you know, literary setting um, usually is about people that aren't in an organized system. So it's usually some kind of individual ne'er-do-well on, the, on the, the fringes of the overwhelmingly corrupt and criminal society. Hmm. Um, and the number of stories about the actual, or there is an organization run by a particular character called, uh, named Jubal, uh, I think they go by the Hawk Masks. And so Jubal is an ex-gladiator, incredibly personally strong person who is now a, a, a crime boss and a slaver. Um, and most of the basic street roughs in the setting are wearing these blue Hawk Masks so they can all go anonymously. So who did the crime? I don't know. So one of those guys in the Hawk Masks. Um, is the idea there? Mm -hmm. So the 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 organization is the very small number of stories are directly related to that organization. All the the people that get the focus in the stories tend to be around the fringes, actually. So from that, you know, maybe it works a little better like that. Is like there's kind of like a murky organization, slightly off screen. You don't know exactly what their extent is. Um, a number like a number of minutes ago, I know that William put in the in the chat. That um, you know, a lot of the a lot of these settings roll out like the Thieves Guild, and and we know from AD and D, there's also an Assassins Guild, and then there's uh, you know, and then like in the in the, uh, the the Gary Gygax novels, there's a there's a Beggars Guild, and the first story that the main character has to deal with, he has to deal with the the evil beggar master, yep, as he's coming up through the ranks of professional begging. Um, and as William pointed out, if you put all that together, you know, you now half of the entire city has to be a thief or a beggar or a criminal in order to populate the organizations the way that they're supposedly laid out, which is a little bit ridiculous. Um, so if, you, if, you, if it proliferates like that, maybe it does become a little bit ridiculous and it's better to have it just slightly murky off screen most of the time. So you don't know exactly what the extent is. Um, you know, there's that uh, there's that uh, Veiled Society adventure for basic D and D, and I know that the guys on Fear of a Black Dragon reviewed that. Do you did you hear that particular review? It's in I the do. Past oh my gosh, I think I did listen to it. Um, um, it was yes. quite a while ago. So yeah, I, I wouldn't expect I anybody I, to remember specifics. I, yeah, I, I think I think they were kind of disappointed in it, as I recall. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. I think they were lukewarm at best on it. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think it was at this point where, and there's you know, it's written by David Cook, who of course did the D and D expert rules and did the it has his name on the second edition AD and D books as the editor. And it's you know, it's this point where they're trying to make more narrative story in the adventures, and they're kind of finding their way to do that. And sometimes it's shaky, and it doesn't work super well. Um, it's funny because when I search for this adventure, it never mentions Thieves Guild. That mm. phrase doesn't show up. But the Veil to Sight itself is is basically a Thieves Guild. It's basically it's a family criminal enterprise uh, that runs the crime in the family through intimidation stuff like that. Very similar to the example you have in your game, Paul. Yeah. And so, um, that's actually maybe one of the best examples of an actual branded D and D adventure with a city based 
crime organization. And the funny thing is, the reviews for that adventure are like, eh, eh. But what everybody loved at the time was the stand-up 3D buildings. Because mm-hmm. it came with a bunch of cut-out stand-up 3D buildings yep. to make your city in miniature to run the chase scenes. Now, um, I will point out, so the next, the next thing that I, that I noticed is in the, in the second edition era, they had a product called Cities of Mystery, um, which sets up a system for um, fantasy cities in the Forgotten Realms. And wonderful cover that we're looking at right now by Larry Elmore of what's clearly some thieves about to um, waylay, I guess, naive adventurers on screen there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the review, and so it kind of has you know a number of ways that you can do fantasy cities of various types in the Forgotten Realms. The reviews for that product were like, eh, I'm kind of mediocre. It's maybe not super spicy stuff. It's a little bit bland for a fantasy world. But what really got great reviews, and this came out in 1989, is that people really loved the cutout stand-up <laughs> figures of buildings that you can make a 3D city out of. <laughs> right? <laughs> so hmm. so there, was, there was a number of years there in like the latter 80s where, uh, where TSR was digging into this. Stand- and I, and I, I, this is a new one to me, actually. So I only knew about three or four at the time, and this was new when I found this, hmm. is... For some reason, when they started to talk about thieves guilds that had to be in a city and they really wanted stand-up 3D figures, um, for some reason, that's a that's an ongoing theme in these products. Huh. Huh. Right? Why is that? Is yeah, there just right? so, so little to write about the thieves guild content that they wouldn't want to eat up some pages with printed buildings? Yes. I, I guess. Know. I mean, I guess it's multi-usable. I mean, I guess you're going to be in a city, you know. Yeah, did the now, did the Veil Society also have like these top-down maps that you could use, kind of like geomorphs or something, to have random well, city I, blocks? Is that am I remembering that right, or is that not? Uh, is I that didn't a catch product? that. Okay. I actually Maybe didn't catch that. that. Uh, you're right, though. That was in a number of products at the time. Like I remember it being in um, Module X10, and I I saw it. I just saw that. It's so funny you say that because I just saw that recently, like a couple days ago. It wasn't Veil Society. It was. Uh, Rats! Oh, jeez. I feel like stuff like this, um, you know, in the 3D buildings and whatnot, I I understand why it's so attractive, right? Like, oh, it's novel and interesting, and oh, look, it makes this neat little model to put on my table. But I always feel like there's not enough instruction on how to use it and play. Yeah. What what am I actually supposed to do with this thing? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Particularly when, you know, at the time, you know, the core books were, were clearly theater of the mind really right yeah. it wasn't you know the miniatures were supposed to be a supplemental add-on and they weren't really core to how the mechanics were set or the movement system or the spells were set up um so the fact that they were going so heavy into that that product line felt a little bit weird um just exactly the way you're saying but you know they looked really nice people people thought they were the best part of these products so um so maybe maybe there was a real appetite. I mean, for me, there was a real appetite to be able to use miniatures because as a kid, I didn't have the resources to have such things. I heard about people using them. It sounded like the best thing ever. Yeah. And it wasn't until a number of years later when I when I you know had a job that I could actually um, you know get some and play with it for a number of years. So maybe this was the point where there was a big appetite like I had mm-hmm. to get into miniature gaming that you hadn't done up until that point. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. So on that yeah. point, right, you talk about thieves, you talk about thieves guilds, everything we've been talking about has been a city. And those mm-hmm. products were leaning way into that. Um, if It's interesting because if you look at the, I believe it's the, the first edition player's handbook is the first time that thieves, the, the phrase thieves guild actually shows up in the D&D rules. And, you know, maybe because I, I prepped that page of, of rules out of the PHP. I don't know if you can Pull yep, it up. Pull that up. Yep. Um, and so the, there's an interesting little piece of text here. Here's thieves, and there's a wonderful um, picture right below this that we didn't have space for. Is here's Gygax writing: Thieves cannot build strongholds as some other classes of characters do. They can, however, build a tower or fortified building of the small castle type for their own safety. But this construction must be within or not more than a mile distant from a town or a city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then any thief that's high level can use that 
castle-type building to set up a headquarters for a gang of thieves. You'll attract some thieves. However, you'll bring the enmity of the local thieves' guild, and they will struggle to do away with your organization. Once begun, warfare will and only end when all of the master thieves on either side are dead um, or the thief uh, escapes to another locale. So the funny thing that I see here is, and again, thieves are the fourth class added to D&D traditionally, is that it has a specific locale restriction, mm, is that mm-hmm. thieves are expected to kind of be stuck in cities. And your fighters and your uh, your wizards and your clerics, if you're that kind of uh, DM, um, they can be anywhere in the world. Uh, they're in the wilderness, they're on a mountaintop, they have a castle anywhere by a river, you know, by the seacoast. And they seem to not have this restriction. And then this fourth class comes in and they seem very, very specific to cities. Again, kind of thinking Fritz Lieber or De Cervantes, this action's always in a city. Um, I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense, though, right? Like, because who are they stealing yeah. from if, if they're right. not in a city? Right. Well, I feel like, I mean, they could be bandits, right? They could be, they could be, they could be bandits, uh, mm. you know, taking near a road or something, yeah. Right by a road or a river or something like that. It could be. I feel like it could have a uh, you know a bandit lord. But it's not like they're going to uh, have a, a hideout uh, at the at the top of a, a distant mountain, right? Where I could easily see like, oh, the the crazy old wizard lives up there, but like a master thief, what's he doing up there? Well, I think the assassins do. The weird yeah. thing is, I think on the next page that actually is an option for the master of assassins. I think, if I recall correctly. Hmm. Um, so I like I feel like I tend to feel a little bit kinked up over okay uh, I have a thief player character and they're in the thieves guild but all that action's in the city does it do I therefore anchor the whole party into the city in order to get that to pay off or when they adventure outside the city does does that just become a non-issue hmm. um, so I tend to want to now the funny thing is that if you look in the DM's guide in the in the wilderness encounter tables you can totally run into. A castle of thieves in the wilderness so he, he either flip-flopped on that um, but sometimes i wrestle with this particular thing that yeah how how hardcore to lean into thieves are really a city-based thing and that explains why they don't get skilled with bows originally and they get skilled with slings just like the the lankmar thieves are trained mm-hmm. um you know because you can you can sneak it around your pants and stuff like that um do you, do you do you do you see that as a big limitation, or would you want to free that up and let thieves have strongholds outside the city too? I mean, I we could take a step back there, and you could just ask: Do you want to run domain campaign play? <laughs> <laughs> and generally, my answer is no, thanks. <laughs> so, eh, I guess I don't really never really dug into that that aspect of it. <laughs> I've never had a player, any player in any campaign I've run, build a stronghold. Never seen that happen. Yeah. Have you have you had that? That's a good question. Uh, as you know, in the outdoor spoliation games, I've had players take take one over. Yep. Yep. Um, and that, and I see with, that at multiple different levels. Like I've seen low level right. parties like take a house right. or often a, right. a tavern. Weirdly, like that, right, they right. seem to gravitate. Oh, yeah. okay. let's own okay. this tavern, and that will become our okay. base of operation. Um, so I've definitely okay. seen that that kind of thing happen with players, but I've never seen them go out and be like, "I'm going to build build my own stronghold." Usually, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. So I've had players, you know, buy a house in town. um, And Mm -hmm. I guess it's a good point. Mm -hmm. It's a a common, you know, observation that that was intended as the ultimate end game in original D&D. And maybe that's a misfit. And not everybody, Gary himself said his players weren't super interested in that. So maybe Mm -hmm. that's a bit of a misfit all along. Um, I I feel like I had, and I had, I've had, I, I was a player in a game where we came across a castle that we raided for whatever reason, killed everybody in it, and uh, we were like, great, this is now our castle. And the game quickly devolved into just maintenance of the castle and, like, fitting it out and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like, what are we doing? What? This this is... We're, we're playing a different kind of game now, and can, can we get back to killing monsters, please? <laughs> and I had the exact same thing happen in my, my repeated outdoor spoliation game, which is actually one of the biggest... 
breakdowns I've ever had actually <laughs> because it, I really ran I really ran hard into that mistake. And in retrospect, I had I should have I should have removed that to outside the game to some meta game yeah. operation. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've I've the changing the whole the whole nature of the game is a real is a real uh, pothole you can run into. I'm gonna put. Here, I like put... Ramsey's pointing out that that the the original D and D books mentioned the thieves' quarter uh, in volume three of your city. That's a good catch on that. Thank you yeah. for that. I'm gonna good put point. up uh, Ash's comment here of uh if you want to have domain play i don't see why thief characters should be barred from it and and i guess i basically agree with that right like if you do want to do it and I, yeah as much as i've now poo-pooed domain play um right. if you do want to do it i don't see why you would bother with restrictions like it they must be in a city uh i feel like the players are going to make their castle or hideout or whatever in a place that's suitable to them to their goals and their story so Probably that's a city, but maybe not, and whatever. Why not just let the players? I agree, that? and and you know, obviously, player characters are going to be unique snowflakes. Uh, sorry, um, and can do you know whatever they want. So, um, uh, so you know, honestly, I do go into volume three of original D and D, and I scribble out on the you know, for me, I scratch out the clerics on the list of who's controlling the castles, and I write in thieves with their own, you know, underlings and, you know, operational, operational processes and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, that's, that's one place where I have marked up my original D and D books in order to add thieves in the castles and the wilderness, as a matter of fact, mm. you know, okay. One other thing there yeah. is, there was an interesting product. I have not read it, but there's an interesting product in 1980 from a company called game Lords limited. And they actually had a series called thieves guild. They're just called thieves guild line. Okay. Um, and so it was sort of to, meant to be adjunct to D and D, but it was sort of its own system at the same time, as that you know kind of branches off. And you know the, the interesting thing is the whole thing was to develop a thief based campaign. And as a result, the other thing we've been talking about here is that among the interesting things about a thieves guild is the social interactions. Is it's who's telling you this and where are you getting information from and mm -hmm. you know can you get a safe house? And it's not just you know kick down the door and you know kill the monster and take the treasure it's it's a lot more social interaction and so among the things that, that game lords did with that Thie thieves guild game um is that they expanded more detail about the class they expanded more detail about the thief class itself as they gave <laughs> more skills and more detail to the existing skills and a system for social background and all that kind of stuff and uh, Dragon Number Fifty Four has a nice article of designers' notes by the authors, and they said the role playing—that's the most interesting part of this hobby. So we're going to dig really. Where our intention was to dig really deep and give a deeper social role playing, deep character experience um, than has existed before, um, and. Um, advised like under their system you probably ought to devote like one or two hours to make a single character in order to have them fleshed out fully and i thought and so on the one hand that kind of leans into do you like skills in your D D or not right mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and these authors felt that the nature of thieves and the nature of thieves guilds is that we had to elaborate on that and make it far more detailed and then they have this really they have this really interesting passage i thought the authors of that Thieves Guild product where they say this, they say, one of the things that all the authors of Thieves Guild agreed on, uh, as it turned out, one of the very few things we agreed on was that too many of the existing adventure modules on the market skimped on their descriptions of places and people, often forcing GMs to improvise wildly in the midst of crucial situations. As a reaction, an intended solution to this problem uh, uh, our our company uh, thieves with thieves guild adventures, regardless of their specific subject, are designed to emphasize detail sometimes to an extreme. That's actually the authors themselves saying that. And then they give an example of uh, an, a, a, a scenario called the the Duke's Dress Ball, where where we gave fifty NPCs lavish detail each, um, assuming that the DM would probably just pick a few to actually use in the scenario. So how do you what is what is your response to that, Paul? That clearly it's a problem that role playing makes you improvise situations on the fly, and the response to that is to provide uh, a document of fifty NPCs in lavish detail to, to to solve that problem, and the problem's finally solved. 
Ugh, I don't know. That sounds right. like an excuse to bump the page count of your uh, product up to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. It's something we've talked about. I mean, we talked about it two weeks back with um, the, you know, how do you prepare for your session, right? When the book is too bloated and the DM needs to cut it down to be useful, usable. We, we discussed it last week with Satine Phoenix and Jameson Stone about what are you thinking about to make a, a you know, easily usable product um, for, for DMs. And I, I can totally yeah. see that. I totally remember, I think, around 1980, people pointing to this like, oh, the adventures are sketchy and you need to improvise as a problem to be solved. And I can see going down this particular path as a result. I thought that was really interesting to see the designers say that out loud at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like the, the progenitor of box text, right? Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Yeah. Interesting. And, and lengthy box, te box text at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, not that we should slam box text so <laughs> too badly. I mean, if you want that, you could go to uh, you could go to certain uh, certain um, yeah, providers. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, honestly the, the the thing. The the my immediate reaction are like, oh, we provided fifty unique NPCs with lavish details. I was, right. My immediate reaction is like, I sure would actually prefer like a a table with like you know yeah. roll here for personality role here for you know dress role here for wealth level whatever etc cetera, etc cetera, and kind of you know let me do a little mix and matchy and I could probably get way more npcs out of a nice little table that's a really great point you probably have it on one page and you yeah, actually yeah. have it actually you know uh generate um you know, hundreds possibly. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, and as you know, that's actually what I kind of have on my, on the inside of my DM screens these days is exactly that. Yeah. Uh, to make up NPCs on the fly. And sometimes some of them will, will click and you'll want to bring them back and some of them won't. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> well, we are nigh out of time, Dan. Do you have any final thoughts on Thieves Guilds? Well, dang it. <laughs> I had other stuff. That's all right. So I think that the thing that I think that you have helped me with, I think you and the viewers have helped me with is is to, again, you know, in the classic books, it's always singular. It's Thieves Guild, singular. Yeah. And there's one single master controller. And uh, I think that for my purposes, what's helpful here is make multiple factions, yeah. right? Don't have it just one single thing, but have competing family organizations, competing factions, and go in as DM, go into it, not knowing in advance who's going to come out on top of that, actually, and let the players tell me um, yeah. who who is going to, at the end of the day, come out on top of the of the situation. It seems it seems both more realistic and maybe more fruitful from a gaming standpoint to have maybe thieves guilds plural. Yeah, I mean, I think my it ultimate takeaway. opens up uh, a lot more nice little bits of play that you can add in you can have stuff like um you know there's a specific treasure that you're trying to steal for the thief for a thieves guild and another thieves guild is trying to steal it at the same time or you know one thieves guild raids another or um you know uh, uh had another one there was uh um in the very opening of uh a game i ran once um there was a um, uh, carrying the players ended up having to steal something for, and and you had multiple different gangs all trying to compete to get this one object which turned out to be a coffin with a vampire in it um yeah yeah so so you know just more chaos in these scenes of like okay now not only are we fighting off two different thieves guilds who are trying to or gangs that were trying to raid us but also oh god the vampire just got loose <laughs> yeah, yeah you know one thing you know one thing we didn't we didn't really dig into as, as heavily as maybe we should have but the idea of you know it is a fantasy world so how does that all get how does that all get twisted by the presence of magic and supernatural threats and so forth mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. you know william i think again a while back that said you know in in your fantasy world the underworld is an actual real underworld um and how does that how does that tie in and get reflected in your criminal organizations. And again, your criminal organization that was a bunch of lycanthropes and run by Iraq Shaz is an excellent example of that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, you know, it's funny because the, the Thieves World actually has a character who uh, runs the major brothel in town 
and she's been magically made immortal. Nice. Um, so she's been running it for many, many decades. And as soon as I read, read that, I was like, what if there was a vampiric brothel owner? That would be pretty, that would be a pretty interesting twist on that. And I yep. really kind of want to include that. Yep. So maybe look through the monster book and think yep. about which of these monsters here would make for a really great master thief or, um, or brothel runner or something like that mm-hmm. would be, would be an interesting twist on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, if you viewers have any uh, stories for us or how you've used Thieves Guilds in your games, uh, we'd love to hear it. Uh, leave us some comments in the video here and uh, tell us how you've successfully incorporated a Thieves Guild into your game. And uh, maybe we'll uh, incorporate that in turn into a future show. Uh, I will personally be looking forward to that because I, I think I need help on fleshing out my Thieves Guilds, actually. I think that Paul and the viewers have already helped me, but I think I need more help. So please leave a comment about, about ideas that we didn't, we didn't get to today. And, of course, if you're new to the show or not, remember that you can like and follow and subscribe to Paul and me, The Wandering DMs, on Twitch and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and GitHub. Um, uh, and uh, you can get updates on upcoming shows uh, that you'll be seeing in the future, like this one. Excellent. Um, you can also listen to our show in audio-only podcast format if you prefer. Uh, those podcasts are available at our website, wanderingdms.com, as well as through various third-party providers such as Google Podcast and iTunes and Spotify. If you are listening to us on one of those third-party carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that platform find us, and we really appreciate it. We definitely do. Uh, look for, uh, Paul was talking a whole lot about the, the, the great stuff that happens on his 10 Dead Rats show. So look for another episode uh, coming up uh, this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, again, that's our D&D Warhammer mashup that we have on the Warner Games channel. So look for that. Uh, no uh, Book of War uh, this week. We'll be back uh, next week. But uh, I should mention what will be happening uh, next Sunday on the Wandering Games show. We will have... Uh, this will be May 23rd. We will have Mr. Matt Finch on as our guest next week, uh, or Uncle Matt, if you look him up on YouTube, on his YouTube <laughs> channel. Of course, Matt Finch is the author of the really uh, celebrated Swords and Wizardry OSR retro clone uh, that's been used by many, many you know uh, old school players for many years. We've played a lot of games with Swords and Wizardry, actually. Mm-hmm. And he's also the, uh, the author of the Old School Primer, just about 10 years ago, actually, of like, if you don't know what old school is, uh, sort of kicked off, you know, OSR being a thing. So we'll have Matt on next week. The last time we got to talk to him in person, he briefly said that he's at some point he feels he wants to update the old school primer to, you know, the fifth edition era, basically. Mm. So we'll check in on Matt if he has done work on that or what his thoughts are now 10 years after the old school primer. So I'm personally really looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I I that's I used yeah. to keep copies of that lying around for anybody who who came to my game who had no experience with old school uh, play to say like, well, here, let me set your expectations. Read this. Read this pamphlet. Yeah, and it, it's a great. You know, it, it it was a really great product to get people excited about old school. I don't agree with everything in it. There's a couple of things I'm mm-hmm. actually gonna. Uh, there's a couple of things I'm gonna kind of pointedly ask uh, Mr. Finch about next week because I think there's a okay. couple of things I honestly disagree with about it. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if how diplomatically I can deliver that. <laughs> 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 but we're so we're so excited to have him on. It's very very generous of him to give us time there. Uh, and of course, I got a good a huge shout out to our patrons, of course, uh, who make all these shows possible and give us the time and opportunity to get great guests like Satine Phoenix last week or Matt Finch next week or things like that and make our other shows possible. So if you're in a position to join our very generous patrons, uh, please do, do go to patreon.com slash wandering DMs and pick a tier that works for you. And you'll see a whole bunch of benefits that we do have available. Like we do have a private Discord server where there's ongoing chat all the time about all of our different subjects and OSR and fifth edition, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, we have monthly... Um, uh, patrons only videos uh, such as the breakfast briefing that Isabel and I just shot yesterday morning on this topic that'll be showing up uh, in a couple days. We have polls and surveys about topics you want to see on upcoming shows and the blogs that uh, Paul and I write more or less frequently. Uh, discounts on merch. Um, um, uh, <laughs> right, and uh, don't forget the after party chat. Right after every Sunday, right after this show, we have an after party chat where we all get on. Discord on our video, and we kind of continue the conversation with our patrons. And what's, for some of us, it's the uh, uh, I really I really highlight of my week, so I'm looking forward to that in a couple minutes. 
Excellent. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else I should mention before we get out, Paul? No, I think that's about it. Okay, great. Awesome. So I will take these. I'm going to take these notes and flesh out my personal Thieves Guilds and my games a little bit more. And I really appreciate the insights everybody added here. And thanks for viewers for doing research on the fly as well. <laughs> always appreciate it. That's always a great value add to the show. So that. thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, don't forget that we are, of course, live here every Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube and Twitch. Next week, again, May 23rd, Mr. Matt Finch. So we hope that you will join us again next week for that interview and more thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.